Did you know that 5.61 million CT examinations are performed in Canada each year? That's 15 exams per 100 people. This number has increased by about 50% in the last decade. As you can imagine, all of this testing means that we are finding unexpected pathology. When an unsuspected mass is found on the adrenal gland, that is called an adrenal incidentaloma. And 5% of adrenal incidentalomas will turn out to be pheochromocytomas. Let's talk about an approach to pheochromocytomas so you too do not get palpitations when you find one. Today, our patient has a pheochromocytoma and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast made by internal medicine residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is entitled Pheochromocytomas and the Adrenaline Rush. Alright, let's start with our minute physiology. Pheochromocytomas are neural crest cell-derived neuroendocrine tumors that arise from the chromaffin cells. They secrete one or more catecholamines, including norepinephrine, epinephrine, or dopamine. You may also have heard of the term paragangliomas. Paragangliomas are tumors derived from the extra-adrenal chromaffin cells of the sympathetic paravertebral ganglia of the thorax, abdomen, and pelvis, or from the parasympathetic ganglia of the glossopharyngeal and vagal nerves. These rarely produce catecholamines, and so for the purposes of this talk, we'll focus on the diagnosis and treatment of pheochromocytomas alone. Pheochromocytomas are rare, occurring in 0.05 to 0.1% of the population, and 0.2 to 0.6% of patients with hypertension. They occur most frequently in people aged 40 to 50, and have a slight predilection towards females, 55.2%. At least one-third of all patients with pheos have a disease-causing germline mutation. As pheos hypersecrete catecholamines, if untreated, they can lead to increased cardiovascular morbidity and mortality. Also, about 10-17% to 17% become malignant, defined as the presence of metastatic chromaffin tissue. Let's talk about our approach. Your first step in any suspected FEO case will be to assess whether your patient is stable or not. What is their GCS? Are their ABCs stable? What are their vitals? The signs and symptoms of FEOs are nonspecific, so it is important to investigate for other causes of the patient's symptoms. Once your patient is stable, you can move forward with your assessment. So, when should you suspect a pheochromocytoma? The clinical presentation is so variable that pheos have been described as the great masquerader. The varied signs and symptoms of pheos are attributed to the hemodynamic and metabolic actions of the catecholamines produced and secreted by these tumors. The class of triad of symptoms include headache, diaphoresis, and palpitations. The sensitivity of this triad is 89%, and the specificity is only 67%. Other features include the five Ps. One, pressure. High BP is the most common feature. It is paroxysmal in 50% and often severe and resistant to therapy. 2. Pain. Most commonly, pain includes headaches or chest pain. 3. Palpitations. 4. Perspiration. 5. Pallor. Other common symptoms include severe anxiety, tremulousness, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, weakness, fatigue, dyspnea, weight loss despite normal appetite, visual problems, profound tiredness, and polyuria. 
When getting a history, it is important to ask about whether these symptoms are constant or occur in attacks, as 50% of patients experience attacks. Attacks may occur weekly or multiple times per day. Most episodes last less than an hour. Attacks may be precipitated by vigorous exercise, trauma, pain, ingestion of tyramine-containing foods, certain cheeses or wines, medications including beta blockers, nicotine, cocaine, glucocorticoids, metoclopramide, paralytics, TCAs, and MOAIs, bladder catheterization, surgical manipulation of the tumor, intubation, and induction of anesthesia. Rarely, patients may present with a condition termed pheochromocytoma multisystem crisis. PMC consists of hemodynamic instability, either severe hypotension or hypertension, hyperthermia, temperature over 40 degrees Celsius, mental status changes, and multisystem organ failure. The triggers of these episodes are similar to those that trigger attacks. As mentioned previously, one-third of all patients with a pheo will have an underlying genetic cause, so it is important to ask about family history, specifically a history of malignancies. On physical exam, if the pheochromocytoma is large, you may be able to palpate a mass in the abdomen. Otherwise, the exam should focus on assessing for the effects of catecholamine overproduction. On vitals, look for tachycardia and hypertension, or postural hypotension. Patients may appear diaphoretic, anxious, and flushed. On cardiac exam, look for a displaced apex due to LVH and an accentuated S2 due to high systemic resistance. You can also examine for evidence of associated genetic syndromes. Examine the thyroid for nodules, as MEN2 patients can develop medullary thyroid cancer. Assess for mucosal neuromas on the lips and tongue associated with MEN2B. And look for evidence of hyperparathyroidism, MEN2A, such as back and chest tenderness, and abdominal dissension from constipation. You can also assess the skin for neurofibromas, cafe au lait spots, and axillary and inguinal freckling that can be present in neurofibromatosis type 1. The initial biochemical testing for a pheochromocytoma should include measurements of plasma-free metanephrines or urinary fractionated metanephrines from a 24-hour urine collection. These diagnostic tests are highly sensitive, but associated with a 19% false positive rate. To decrease this rate, Plasma-free metanephrines should be drawn while the patient is in the supine position for approximately 30 minutes. Medications such as acetaminophen, labetalol, sulfasalazine, cocaine, sympathomimetics, levodopa, MAOIs, and TCAs can cause false positives. Additionally, physiologic stresses such as extreme illness should be considered when interpreting marked elevations of metanephrines. Elevations in both normetanephrines and metanephrines are rarely false positives, so these findings should be treated with a high degree of suspicion. Similarly, increases in normetanephrines or metanephrines 3, 4 or more above the upper cutoff are also rarely false positives. Following a positive test, it is a matter of judgment based on your pretest probability whether to repeat the test or proceed with imaging. Imaging should only be initiated once there is clear biochemical evidence of a FIO. A CT with contrast of the abdomen is the imaging modality of choice for the localization of pheochromocytoma. It has a sensitivity between 88 to 100%. In patients with metastatic disease, an FDG PET CT is recommended. Ultimately, however, the diagnosis is only truly made in the pathology lab. In patients with pheochromocytoma, you should discuss the role of genetic testing, 
as at least one-third of patients will have a disease-causing germline mutation. Additional benefits include prognostication, as some mutations are associated with more aggressive disease and earlier detection of disease in relatives. Commonly associated genetic syndromes include MEN2A and 2B, which results from a RET mutation, von Hippel-Lindau, which results from the VHL mutation, and neurofibromatosis type 1, NF1 mutation. We've talked about our approach. Let's discuss the management now. The treatment of a pheochromocytoma is surgical resection. As an internist, you will be responsible for the preoperative and postoperative management of your patient. Preoperatively, it is important to provide hormonal blockade, ideally 7 to 14 days prior to surgery, to normalize BP and heart rate in order to prevent an intraoperative hypertensive crisis. Start with an alpha-adrenergic receptor blocker. Phenoxybenzamine is a non-selective and competitive alpha receptor antagonist that is most classically used. It is started at a dose of 10 mg Q6 to 12 hours and increased to a max dose of 240 mg a day. Selective alpha blockers such as prazosin, doxazosin, and terazosin can also be used, starting at low doses and titrating up every 1-2 to two days to achieve normal blood pressure. Calcium channel blockers can be used as add-on therapy to control blood pressure. Preoperative beta blocker use is indicated to control tachycardia. Beta blockers should only be added after administration of alpha blockers, or else this can precipitate a hypertensive crisis due to unopposed stimulation of alpha-adrenergic receptors. The catecholamines cause intense vasoconstriction through the alpha-1 receptors, so the initiation of alpha blockade can lead to severe orthostatic hypotension. To help counteract this, patients should also be placed on a high-sodium diet and high-fluid intake. They should take 5 to 10 grams of salt per day and at least 2 to 3 liters of fluid. Immediately post-op, it is important to closely monitor for hypotension and hypoglycemia. Fluids and vasopressor infusions are used to counteract the hypotension. The sudden catecholamine withdrawal after tumor removal also leads to hyperinsulinemia, which can cause severe hypoglycemia. Glucose should be monitored and replaced very closely. And of course, in patients undergoing bilateral adrenalectomies, Adrenal insufficiency must be managed with glucocorticoid and mineralocorticoid replacement. To assess for successful tumor removal, plasma or urine metanephrine testing should be performed two to four weeks after surgery. For long-term monitoring, patients should have plasma or urine metanephrine levels checked annually to assess for recurrence or metastatic disease. Unfortunately, recurrence occurs in 6.5 to 16.5% of patients. Finish with our medicine minute. Did you know that President Eisenhower had ischemic cardiomyopathy and well-documented variabilities in blood pressure? His autopsy revealed, unexpectedly, a 1.5 centimeter pheochromocytoma in the left adrenal gland. All right, that's all for today. Thank you for listening to today's episode entitled Pheochromocytomas and the Adrenal Rush. This episode was written by Drs. Alexandra Kobza and Olivia Cook, internal medicine residents, and reviewed by Dr. Zubin Bundigi, endocrinologist, and Dr. Mohamed Panju, general internist. The Internet Work series was created by Allison Rai and developed by Zara Morali and Leia Karianopoulos. This episode was recorded and produced by Leia Karianopoulos. Music production by Lakshmi Vasanthamala. If you like this episode, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to check out www.theinternetwork.com for our associated infographic. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you again soon.